Welcome to the Movies in the Black podcast. This is part two of an interview with Ryan Haggerty, who is a indie film producer and freelance new media producer. He does a lot of stuff with live, video, social media, and videos for nonprofits and commercial stuff. He can talk about that a little bit more in this episode. It's a really valuable episode for those of you just getting started in freelance or those of you kind of still in that early stage. There's a lot of really practical information in this episode and I think we really got a good one here. If you're listening on iTunes, it'd be really helpful if you could give us a review. Honestly, anywhere that you're listening, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, YouTube, all the above. So wherever you like to listen to podcasts, look for us there and your rating, likes, add us to a playlist on Spotify. That stuff really helps. A, it helps us show up more for organic search, which has, had, has been happening more and more with each new episode. So that's awesome. So thank you so much for the few of you who have already done this. But it also just kind of helps us know that we're on the right track. So thank you again for listening so far. And let's get started with this episode. Welcome back, Ryan. Hey, how you doing, Craig? It's almost as if we literally just recorded another podcast and I'm recording this one now. It, it feels that way sometimes. Yeah, it'd be like that. Is that what the kids are saying? <laughs> you got it, fam. Oh, geez. So lit. Anyway, this one, I want to talk more about your freelance because I think that's interesting. You are doing pretty well with it. So I think that it's a valuable thing for a lot of people to learn from you, from what you're doing that you feel like are successes and also maybe some of the challenges you're still fa facing as a freelancer. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's something that whether you're getting into it to start with or you've been in for a while, you're always learning because it's a business, right? So I think that term freelancer gets thrown out there and people think that you just go and, and you know, maybe you work for somebody else or a bunch of clients or whatever, but really you're managing a small business. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's something you come to terms with really quickly, right? When you have to pay your taxes and all that. But yeah, getting and choosing to get involved in freelance was a decision I made uh, coming out of teaching and having taught for a while, wanting to get back to doing more. So that was a very exciting prospect. But when it comes to being in a place that supports a freelance lifestyle, being in rural PA versus in more of an urban area like Pittsburgh, it certainly made it an easier decision to make because Pittsburgh has a lot of things that support freelance activity. Yeah. So Pittsburgh currently, um, you know, they have a large medical industry. They have a lot of tech that's being developed with their universities and other companies in town and then education in general around the universities and stuff like that. So there's kind of a a alive and, and growing sort of marketplace in Pittsburgh around those industries, which lends itself to things like marketing and doing events and being able to build brands and things like that, which then you start to find these companies outsourcing for freelance. So yeah, part of it is running a small business, but then part of it is also realizing what kind of work is in demand based off the market they're actually based out of. Um, and being able to respond to that and have the right talent to do that kind of work. Yeah, it's definitely challenging to be in a rural area and do the same thing. I find it beneficial for myself because I don't usually work for a lot. My, my ideal client is not someone who's local. My ideal client is the one or two clients I have in LA. I have a client in Seattle now and I have a client in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. They can pay me a rate that to them seems much lower. And to me here, because of the standard of living difference, it's it's a decent amount of money for me. So that's really the only way I see it possible to make a living doing freelance in a rural area is if you're doing work outside of that area. But if you're in a city, 
it's totally different. And there's a lot of, I think, something to say for the fact that you're not the only person doing it in a city, too. There's a lot of other infrastructure laid around. Companies are used to working with freelancers. You can talk a little bit maybe about Work Hard Pittsburgh. There being kind of these co-working spaces and networks that have developed that really facilitate freelance type work. And just in general, the whole the whole culture around that is much more knowledgeable about it. So there's more that you can use as resources in the area. The gig economy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't exist. That. We have uh, two Uber drivers in Dubois. Yeah, so kind of taking it back to the urban side, though, down in Pittsburgh, they do have different, and this is all over the world now, there's a lot of co-working spaces that have popped up. So kind of addressing those issues of what market are you in, what work is in demand, and what kind of business are you going to build up around that? Being able to step into a co-working space is kind of nice because you have people there with businesses at various levels of maturity to be able to actually enter into a conversation with another human and say, you know, what are your rate? You know, what kind of client work are you getting on the regular? Or, you know, I need this kind of talent to sub out this part of the work that I'm working on because... I don't know how to code a website, you know, so being able to kind of plug into that network out of a co-working space and accelerate the growth of your business and your networking is one of the reasons to kind of enter into that in the first place. I think a lot of people's ideas about freelance, if they haven't gotten into it as deep, is that maybe you start off working from home and then you're going out to a coffee shop to meet clients or something like that, which a lot of people can do. Uh, and I think that that is uh, a lot of ways that people start their small businesses, whether we're talking about creative media or people selling a product or providing a service. Uh, a lot of people kind of look at it as like a little cottage industry sort of thing they start off with. And if you can maintain that that style of life and be that remote writer that's doing articles for Forbes or whatever, fantastic. <laughs> but I find when it comes to generating leads, uh, when it comes to kind of resourcing talent, when it comes to tackling some business-related challenge that you may be having on your own and, and being in a bubble, um, it's it's a lot harder to do in the, the field of digital media work that I do. Like, I'd rather be in that space with other people and, you know, for one thing, hear what kind of work is, is available. Uh, it's nice to kind of learn and grow from others. Like, having that human interaction and contact even though we're not all working in the same space, doing the same exact thing under the same business. Kind of nice to just hear like the trials and tribulations from other people. It's nice to hear about their successes uh, and hopefully learn from that and kind of, like I said, accelerate what you're trying to do. Yeah. So do you feel like whenever you first, so when you transitioned from teaching to doing freelance again, which you had done it in the past before that, and you've also kind of did some of it while you were teaching. So it wasn't mm -hmm. like you were completely starting from scratch. But moving to Pittsburgh and getting involved with co-working space, Work Hard Pittsburgh, did you feel like that was a benefit that you had when you first came in was the ability to kind of get into that network of people that are already doing projects and learn from them what kind of businesses are looking for the types of services you have? And do you feel like now you're kind of on the other end of that where you're helping people get into into that industry? Yeah, I mean, anything that you're spending money on in your business is an investment, right? So whether you're pining on B&H photo over a lens and you're like, oh, I could really use that. It's like, well, the question that I always get before I spend money in an investment for my business, is it going to help me make more money? You know, and that could be anything from buying a faster computer so you're spending less time waiting on a render 
and that ups your hourly rate for editing, right? Because you're literally spending less time on an edit waiting. So the same thing goes like paying a monthly fee at one of these co-working spaces. You do have to kind of look at it as, are there other freelancers that are in some of the same fields that I am? I mean, I think that's a good question to ask. Also, are there other opportunities within the space? So uh, WorkHard is a little unique that we have an in-house entity that is a uh, ad hoc digital service agencies or agency that people can participate in. So if you're thinking about, you know, I have a handful of clients and maybe you're somebody that does social media management and now you want to step in and perhaps through uh, your co-working space, somebody else needs that service. Or maybe you have a photographer over here and they want you to manage their social media. There's just a lot of opportunity to kind of expand your portfolio. And then beyond that, I think it's also, like I said, being able to resource that talent. So rather than you as a business having employees, you have other freelance talent that you can tap into to scale up a project. So maybe at this current point in time, uh, you're running a video production business, you're going out and you're filming lectures, right? And there's like a lecture series and that's what you're able to provide. And that's at this package rate and that's generating this amount of revenue for your business. Well, great. But then you're starting to get into the scene and you're going, oh, well, people are doing live stream events now. There's a conference going on and oh, that's multiple days and I need like five shooters or whatever. Knowing that you have an in-house vetted network that you can rely upon and you're kind of familiar with each other's rates and you're kind of familiar with what the gear is that they use means that you can take on that bigger project and you can go and scale up and you can look as big or as small as you need to for a given project. There's a ton of benefit, I think, to being in that space and, and it kind of, as a professional, also challenges you to be a better professional because you're not at home, you know, you're not walking around in your pajamas or whatever the stereotype is that people want to throw out there. You're doing business amongst a bunch of people that are also doing business. You know, when I work from home, which I do quite a bit now, I always get dressed in my like business casual because otherwise there's like an emotional thing. Like I have to, I have a separate room that's my office and I have, I don't really get any work done unless I get up, get a shower, have my coffee, basically do everything that I would normally do to go to work and mm. then go to my office. And it's like, okay, it's work time. Uh, so it's like, I have to build that psychological thing. And I used to work at out of co-work, uh, work hard Pittsburgh. I didn't do it for very long, but I had a similar experience where it was, you know, uh, the big thing for me was, and I think a lot of freelancers when they're first starting out is figuring out what the hell to charge. <laughs> Uh, and like, how do you even communicate with a client? If you haven't now, having come done a sales job for quite a while now, it's like much, much easier for me to do. But before it, that was the big hurdle is like, A, how do you even start that conversation? And B, where do you find the work? And C, how much do you charge once they ask you? They're like, great, I want to work with you. Now, how much is it going to cost? You know this. I way undercharged for like everything mm -hmm. for a long time. Do you have any advice for people uh, that maybe haven't found a network of, of supporting freelancers where they can kind of learn or hone those skills that help them get started as a freelancer. Sure. Yeah. I would say the price and the rate issue is more of what does it cost to run your business? So I know you tied that into the client and sure. Yeah. Clients have limited budgets and there's ways that you need to consider your rates and your price in terms of the size of the client that you're working with and you know what it's worth to them so you really do need to sit down and consider 
what how much money you're trying to generate with your business in a year and there's a lot of good like if you go out and google there's a lot of guides out there where freelancers who have run businesses much longer than i have will sit down and say okay you want to make fifty thousand dollars this year what does that really look like and they'll have a complete breakdown from equipment to software to office to your health insurance to the million and one things that you didn't consider you're probably going to be spending money on that you're relying on business revenue to pay for all these things whether that's in your personal life or your business, like you really need to have all that written out. So an issue of price, uh, you need to really know what you're spending money on and also what market you're, you're working out of. You had referenced before that you had some remote clients in LA, which LA is gonna be way different from even Pittsburgh, which is gonna be way different from, you know, rural PA Dubois. Yeah. Um, so you need to know what your market's going to bear. So the the issue of price, you really do need to sit down and do some homework uh, and maybe research online what you can find through some other other freelance sites. And don't consider, you do need to consider when you're newer that maybe you can't demand a super high price, but you also don't want to undercut yourself to where you're setting a market rate that now you have to live with for the next year or two years or whatever that might be. Yeah, because you can change your rates annually. That's something that is kind of expected and you should broadcast to your clients. But within a year, if you start off at a certain rate, you're kind of married to that, especially if people are talking to one another and telling others about your work, they might also be quoting that rate. So you need to be careful of what ends up in that contract or that proposal, that it's something that is a livable rate for you to pay your taxes, for you to you know, pay for your laptop or whatever other, your yeah. business expenses you might have. When I first started doing freelance, uh, well, <laughs> so in like the recent, like a year ago, when I really started doing it and making money off of it rather than before when I had tried to do it and definitely was not making it work, mm -hmm. I used one of those calculators on, and I mean, like you said, you can Google it. There's a bunch of them. I used one of those calculators too. And I, you know, I made it like, I need to make minimum pretty much like 18 grand a year here to live and live okay. Ideally, I'd like to make a lot more than that. And now my rates, if I'm meeting my hourly goals for a, for a week, will bring me closer to thirty to $40,000, which here will make is a really nice living. <laughs> uh, if I was living in LA, I would be barely scraping by at that. Uh, so you have to consider those things like and be very realistic about where you're at and if you're starting out, go for that lower, like say, what is the absolute minimum I can live off of right now? And, and also pay my taxes, also pay my health insurance, also pay for my equipment. And then that's where your rate should be. There's another piece to it besides just the like, how much do I charge as an hourly rate, which I do suggest people charge hourly rates. A lot of people, or at least if you're going to do a project base, figure out how many hours it's going to take you to do, estimate it, uh, and then charge the project. But that's yeah, there's. You need to know the complete breakdown yeah, for yeah, how exactly. much, how many hours in you know in, in human labor it costs you to complete the work for sure. But you're, I guess what you're getting to is you don't necessarily need to broadcast each of those out to the client. Yeah, you can be uh, a little bit more opaque about how you're representing the the final retail number to the client with the markup and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely a degree of getting more efficient too mm -hmm. is like i consider if i'm i'm booking a client that i'm going to have for a year that yeah the project each video like let's i'm doing one now where i'm doing a couple of videos a week for somebody and it's each video right now is taking me about three hours but that's because i'm not used to the workflow yet 
I'm assuming eventually I'll get that down to two hours, maybe even below two hours. So when I was quoting the price per video, I kind of averaged out what I think in like two months I'll be doing hourly for it rather than what it's cost taking me right now. Mm -hmm. But also if I get even more efficient and get it done in an hour, six months from now, then my rate essentially doubles. Well, and the other thing to consider with price too is when you first start off, it might just be you, right? You're, you're the point person for talking to the client all the way through to doing all the hands-on work with the project, all the way to the final deliverable going to the client. You know, it might just be you running that business and you're not collaborating with anyone else creatively or whatever. And so you're just thinking about like, what should I get paid maybe just to do the hands-on things? Like maybe that's where your brain's at. Like I'm going to go film this thing and maybe there's a script that gets written. Maybe there's some editing involved. Uh, and I'm going to put rates for each of those things. But you're potentially leaving out things like, well, I got to go meet with the client for an hour. Um, I've got to like research music for this project. I've got to also, you know, come up with some emails that are going to happen over the next three months. And that takes three hours of my time. And I've got to make sure the thing is uploaded. Like there's a ton of tasks that are more, uh, and this will you know, get into project management, right? Yeah. So when you're doing it on your own, you don't really consider sometimes project management is a thing that costs money. But if you take a step back and say, okay, what if I was managing this particular project for a client, but I had somebody else that was doing these hands-on things? What am I getting paid for at that point? Yeah. So when you step back and look at it like That's that, an interesting you start to, to think about, it, sure. they're paying me to make sure this thing happens in a quality way that from the beginning to the end, whatever they said needs to be in there gets translated from the very first meeting all the way to the final deliverable that I am assuring that this thing's going to go down well and they're going to get the most value out of this product that we're making for them. Like that, that task of managing the project is super valuable. Yeah. And there should be a price tag on that. Well, that's why there's jobs for project managers in big companies. So that's an interesting thing. That, and I think that's actually a pretty nice little nugget right well, there. And how do, you, how do you grow, right? Yeah. Because if you really think about it, growth means you being able to take on more projects as a business so at a certain point, you literally can't make any more hours in the day. And so you have to kind of decide, like, within those tasks, what is the thing that you're going to specialize in or that you're going to commit your time to? And so, you know, let's say you are really good at handling the client. You have an expertise in all the hands on things that you know what you're talking about and how to do them. So you could manage another human, you know, another talent to do that. So if you factor in a certain amount of project management, you can make money off that project still and never touch the camera and never touch the editing you know, software or whatever yeah. uh, and still maintain that client in that project and come out with revenue on the other side. And now you've put somebody else to work within that project so you're able to spend less time doing the hands-on, spend more time project managing and taking on additional projects. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Well, that's a good, no, that's, I mean, that's like, to me, it's like, that's where my brain goes a lot of times when I'm thinking about projects. Cause I, I feel I'm naturally more of a producer role where I like to hire people to do things, unless it is something where someone's hiring me to edit a video every week. And like, I don't, at a certain point, there's no longer a lot of handling that goes along with that just because mm -hmm. of the established workflow. They're basically the project manager hiring me to do the, the subcontract work in some cases, but I do think that that is a really well put way to explain that for like, I mean, just for me, but also in general for the audience, for people to really 
take that seriously and, and understand the value of that. And I know working for businesses, they expect that. They they understand that that is part of the cost of, most of them <laughs> understand well, that it's part of the cost of getting a project done and getting it done well. Well, and most people are already doing it. They're just not paying themselves for it. And yeah. I think that's the part where when you're, you know, if you're spending the time to do the budget to figure out what your hourly rate should be, you need to make sure like you're taking on enough projects within a year and then the decision becomes like, well, how do I, like you said, you can't add more hours to the day, Yeah. but you can always change the task that you personally are responsible for. You just need to ensure in the budget you're getting paid to do it. Yeah. Um, so touching on a, a point that you had brought up earlier with clients and kind of just chasing down work, which is related to budgets and your rate and everything, but I wanted to kind of frame it a little differently. So uh, just client engagement stuff. Like the way that I've kind of learned to think about it more and more is the goal is to establish a working relationship with the client. So as much as it is for them to sign the contract, like that's definitely important. They need to sign that. Just just entering into a conversation with a client though, as you're thinking about like sales and leads yeah. and all these sorts of things. I, I've gotten a lot of times where I'll get a message, an email, something like that. And somebody's like, I have this project that needs done. How much is it? And I think there's certainly industries like maybe wedding videography or photography that has package pricing and people are able to price shop and, you know, look at the photos and go, cool, I think this is who I want to work with. And like in their minds, maybe have committed to it. But if somebody asks me how much a project costs, like even if I have a price in mind, I still want to talk to them. And right. the simple reason I want to talk to them is because I want to find out, is this relationship going to work, Right. So whether you can just get them on the phone, like meeting in person can be really useful too. You're starting that relationship with them. So think of it less of, are we matched on price? Like matching on price can happen somewhere in the conversation, but it's more importantly, like, am I putting out the kind of work that they want to have represent them? Can we work well together? Uh, is this going to become a recurring client? Because now I've talked to them. So establishing that relationship is for your own sanity, but it's also to ensure the client that you're the right match. So a yeah. lot of times in those conversations, what will happen is they're presenting you with a problem, right? And you're sitting there uh, trying to get the scope of what the problem is, and they may have a solution in their head, and you're trying to go through and vet, you know, is their solution right? Um, is what I, I'm suggesting right? You know, what is the priority? Where do we start? And hopefully by the end of that meeting or that phone call, they'll have felt better that you helped talk them through a problem and that you're the answer. Like you're the person they need to talk to now. So by the time you've finished that meeting or phone call, I usually say like, hey, I'm going to follow up with a summary email. I'll have a proposal to you by the end of next week or whatever that timeline might be. And so they're waiting for me to send them all this great stuff that we just talked about and had a good feeling about. And the price is still important, but it becomes less of an issue because they want to work with me now. Right, yeah. And well, that's, yeah. A, and and that's more, why I wanted to separate yeah, that no, price a little bit right. and think more about it as relationship building, followed by you being professional and done your homework and having a price that is reasonable. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think it's easy to get caught up on your prices and, and that whenever. And you, I think the biggest thing when you're starting out is just not undercharging is like a big issue. Um, but generally building that relationship, solving solutions for a client. Uh, and especially if you have a wide variety of skills, like a lot of people in the video industry do, 
uh, it's like you might have other skills that could solve other problems for them mm-hmm. that you might not be thinking of or they might not be thinking of until you start hearing them talk about what it is they're trying to solve. I've actually had I had a client call me to do a like a, a text animation, like motion graphics thing for a online course. And as they were talking to me, I realized that they really needed a new website first. <laughs> So I, and then I build websites too. So it was like, okay, well, I mean, we can do this, but I really think, you know, and they hadn't even considered that, you well, know, and it's like, I'm sure they appreciated that they though too, Absolutely. that you weren't, you know, if you had just taken the gig and the money and been like, well, it's not going to help them, but whatever, I made my money. Like, did, did that really help them? Exactly. Yeah. It wouldn't have. And that's what I saw. But if I hadn't had the experience that I have in sales now, I probably wouldn't have identified that other need because I wouldn't have really searched for it in the way Mm -hmm. that I was talking to them. And I don't know how to develop that other than just trying to kind of look at things from a bigger picture of like what the business is and being okay with asking them like what's why do you why are you looking to do this project in the first place? Because a lot of times their solution may not be the only solution that they're open to because a lot of times they're just trying to solve a problem. Well, and and I think you you were saying like how do you even start approaching that? And I think if you you know not to keep using the word relationship, but if you understand like your role in that relationship, like you said, it, it is problem solving, and it's like paying that reality of what might they do next, you know. And so when you get down to price, you do need to paint paint a reality of what that actually costs. Yeah, not like okay, well, I think their budget is this and I'm really anxious and I guess I would do it for this to start with. Like, you need to think like, this could be a client that I have for years, you know, like I'm going to be working with them for a while. Like I need to, to be upfront and honest with like how this relationship works, everything from the service you're offering to the rate that it's going to cost and everything. And they can decide how valuable that is to them. There's an interesting, I was, I don't know if you know who Matt Diavella is. He's a filmmaker that has a good podcast and on his podcast he had someone on there that was talking about the three things that make people want to keep working with you and and if you have two out of the three basically people will keep working with you it's do you show up on time and actually get the work done do you perform at a high standard for the the price and the rent and whatever it is that they're paying for and do they enjoy working with you and if you can do two of those three things you're set if you can do all three of those things that client's going to be yours as long as you both have that relationship until you screw it over <laughs> <laughs> or they run out of money or whatever go out of business something yeah. but like i think that's really interesting because a lot of people think they have to be perfect in every regard but and it's it's easy to not value that personal relationship that you end up having with the person that's hiring you Mm. um, or a professional relationship, but you as a person matter uh, in the relationship. Because if you think about uh, filmmakers might get this in this circumstance, the people that you've worked with on set that you would call back are not necessarily the people that have the highest quality work that they're outputting. It's usually the people that you enjoyed working with the most. Mm. And that kind of, Obviously, you want both of those things, and obviously showing up on time is really important too, but people are a little more forgiving about certain things, or at least can adjust their standards, If but if you're a total asshole, right, and you, you showed up on time, you put did great work, and you're a total asshole, it's like, <laughs> like I might hire you again because you showed up in time to do great work, but if you just do great work, but you showed up late and you're an asshole, it's like, no way, like, yeah. not hiring this person again. It's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's all about those expectations. 
for sure. Yeah, just kind of going back to the idea of the project management being a key part of that relationship with the client. I, I know there's a lot of anxiety around a lot of these issues, whether it's first putting that price down in a proposal or a contract, you know, when something goes wrong, like that's like the worst, right? In your own head, you build up this thing that's like, oh my God, they're going to be so mad. Uh, and when I say wrong, it could be a minor thing like, oh, you know, so-and-so is sick and like they didn't get the edit done and I can't get it to you till tomorrow morning. Or, you know, when we recorded that podcast, your remote guest, there was a glitch and like we can't use this 10 seconds of audio or whatever. I think the worst thing you can do in any situation where you're, you have bad news and anxiety about it to deliver to a client is to delay that information getting to them. Like it, it's probably not as big a deal in your head to begin with. Secondly, the sooner you tell them, the sooner they've had time to adjust their expectations. And that is part of your job as project management is to be a communicator and to be open and transparent about things and also to have a way to solve it, obviously, at that point. Yeah. But if you wait two or three days and they get that information, you're that much closer to a deadline or you're well, that much farther behind on playing catch up. Yeah. Like you've done a worse job of managing that client's project than if you had just come forward and at least given them an expectation of what happens next because that's what they expect problems from you. happen and yeah. any any business owner knows that problems happen and arise in, in any kind of project they have that happen in their own business so keeping that in mind when you're and i get it because like i def, that's probably my biggest issue with working with with clients is that i get really in my head about like how are they going to react if i like bring up this problem or make this suggestion i'm trying to get over that because i know how important that is the anxiety builds too <laughs> like the first day when it comes up it's like okay i should probably tell them this but like i'm just going to solve it and then it won't be an issue and then it like builds into a bigger issue maybe and then it's just like three days in it's like well now they're going to be really pissed because i didn't tell them there's a lot you can self-sabotage yourself a lot when you're when you're working with yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's just, it's like anything else. You just put yourselves in them sh their shoes and think about like, okay, like what is it, what is their goal? What are they trying to accomplish? And what are the ways that I can facilitate that to happen? So whether it's the initial sending out of the price and the scope of the project and you're like, just need to be honest about what is accomplishable within a budget or whatever, like they're expecting all this from you. And right. that's the thing, we have to deliver these things regardless of our personal feelings about it or our own emotions and anxiety about it and realize, oh, I'm doing them a favor by letting them know about this problem or I'm doing them a favor by showing them this is really what the budget looks like. Is that going to happen now or is that six months from now? Because yeah. they're running a business, they're doing a thing amongst all of this going on. They're still doing, you know, whatever they're doing doesn't stop just because I have anxiety or the project has like, you know, a snafu or whatever. Is there a point whenever someone's first starting out that you feel like, and I'm talking hypothetically, obviously both of us aren't in this situation, but someone that is, that's really just starting out doing some kind of freelance. Maybe they have a little bit of the technical skills, but don't really have a lot of work to show for it. Like let's mm -hmm. say they're a filmmaker and they're trying to figure out a way to make more money doing that kind of work rather than their full-time job and just making films on the side. Is there any kind of advice that you have for transitioning from that? And, and cause that's when you feel that the most of like, I have to take on any possible project. I'll do it all for free, whatever it is. And that's not really realistic a lot of the times, especially if you're trying to hold down another job and do that at the same time. But there is kind of a, on-ramp there where you have to be able to prove that you can do the work. Well, I think you, you were sharing earlier information about um, the other guy's podcast where you were saying that you have to have these three qualifications to maintain a relationship, you know, 
do the work well and be on time, or at least get the work done, be on time, you know, be really good at what you do at the rate that you do, uh, and then be, you know, good to work with or whatever. So you can kind of set up some qualifications for yourself for the kind of projects that you want to take on. If I have a, uh, a business plan that identifies that I need to work on, you know, ten five thousand dollar projects a year. So you can look at a project when you're starting off and be like, well, does it fit within the the price range that I'm willing to accept? Yes or no. Maybe you want to learn from collaborators and get to a certain workflow. So maybe you're doing social media at a beginner's level and you want to work with somebody who's like taking on some major campaigns and they're willing to show you this and that. And it's not the greatest rate, but you're going to get to see how a campaign is run. That's probably a worthwhile project to be on just because you're gaining knowledge and skills that you previously didn't have. And it's not like they're, you're, anybody's paying you extra to gain those knowledge or skills, but it's valuable. And then beyond that, I would say if it kind of helps you to network into something. So if uh, maybe there's a, a big nonprofit gala event and you're doing photos for it, but you're getting to shake hands with a bunch of people who have jangly jewelry and deep pockets, <laughs> then, you know, sure, like that's not a bad gig to take on. So you kind of need to have your own set of rules on how it's going to get you to the next step. So when you're thinking about what your trajectory of your business is and you're like, I know I want to get to these $5,000 gigs, but I'm at these $2,000 one now, like is that gig in the same line of work that you're building within? So is it a, you know, a wedding video or is it a documentary? You know, you really have to kind of have that built up in your mind as to how is it going to help you grow and build? And it can't just be that I don't have work. Like, that's not really a good reason to do that. So, yeah, when you're taking those on, if you kind of have that litmus test to pass it through, I think it, it, it gives you a little bit less anxiety when you say yes or no to it because you've justified it at that point. Yeah. Wow. I think that's really good advice. <laughs> <laughs> my, my thing with freelance work is I think uh, we are at a point now where it is a viable thing. And I think certainly there's still some scary parts about it, whether that's when people are thinking about retirements and benefits and all these issues that are coming up in uh, different areas like New York has some freelancer laws that are starting to get on the books that now is a good time to get into it because it is a little bit of Wild West. And if you're the kind of person that likes adventure and risk, like it's a good time to be here. And at the same time, there is enough uh, of a shift in markets that freelance work is being considered professional work by a lot of larger businesses and people that don't necessarily want to do it in-house anymore or have stepped away from that to, to use freelance workers. So if you're getting into it now, it's a good time. Um, I would just say to kind of keep tabs on some of the things that might benefit you as a freelance worker and to know your rights as well and to kind of have that in the back of your mind and and. You know, even yeah. if business is going well, there's a reason for us all to kind of band together and support some oh, sure. things that do you, are... Do you have any resources specifically that you would suggest for people to kind of keep an eye on? I have the, the Freelancers Union, okay. the big national site that kind of... They publish a lot of news about that kind of thing. They were actually part of the uh, push in New York for the, the, the laws there. They're trying to pass basically the same types of laws in a bunch of other cities they tried to do it at a bigger level and then realized like it has to be from the city up basically. Yeah. So that's, and they also have some health insurance options through, through the freelancers union too, um, which are not necessarily the most affordable. I've looked into it and I can get better insurance from the marketplace, but mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely something to look into to keep, 
keep an eye on those kind of things. Those are some of the, I guess, most progressive things that are happening right now. But yeah, I would say to where, wherever you're living at within that community, find out the people that are involved in this kind of stuff, because uh, it could be that you have a passion project that's related to your business and through your network, maybe you can help get funded. Maybe you can plug in and find fiscal sponsorship for, which is necessarily saying that you're not a nonprofit, but you can get a grant that only applies to nonprofit to do this one-off project you're working on. So just be aware of the resources in your area and try to plug into that. And don't be afraid to talk about things like within your network like rates. Like how else do you know what the rates are if you're not talking about them? I think a lot of the stigmas that get built up in a regular nine to five job workplace about not talking about your salary, not having as much information about how the business is being run and all that, has kind of uh, stigmatized talking about these numbers and rates and sorts of things, but it's a good idea to know what your competitors are doing or your friendly competitors at least so that you know your rates aren't too low either. Yeah, So great. Where can people check you out online if they don't know already from the previous podcast that we did together? <laughs> uh, so you can find me at HaggertyMedia.com. I also have uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at HaggertyMedia. And uh, if you're interested in checking out, like, kind of the model at our co-working space, uh, workhardpgh.com. And then we're also on uh, Facebook and other social media outlets. Awesome. And if you didn't listen to it already, the previous podcast to this one, we, me and Ryan, Ryan was a producer on Blood on the Leaves. We talk a lot about independent film, um, our experiences with releasing that, and a ton about distribution platforms and the kind of data they give us. Uh, so you can check that out. Or don't give us. Or, or the data they don't give us, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Ryan. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Thank you for listening to this episode of Movies in the Black. Again, if you are on iTunes, leave us a review. If you're on Spotify, add us to a playlist. If you are anywhere else, give us a share. Share us on Facebook with someone that you think would be interested in listening to this show. I really hope you got some good value out of this episode. I sure did. Every time I talk to Ryan, he's just a wealth of knowledge and information, and he's really killing it with his freelance business. I'm so happy to know him and see uh, him succeeding so much. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.